our scripture today comes from the book of Psalms. And we're going to read an entire psalm. But don't worry, I did not pick the longest one because that would take up the whole service. Uh, it is actually the last psalm, Psalm 150. And so would you join me in listening to what the Spirit has to say to us today through this psalm? Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen uh, to our words from Scripture this morning. Would you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are on our second hymn in our series called Hymn Excavation. Last week, we did a deep dive into the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, which had some pretty heavy theological themes to it. I got some feedback that I used some pretty big words during that sermon. Um, but we learned also of the significance of the composer of that hymn, Isaac Watts, on the popularity of using hymns within churches in England and beyond. It's hard to imagine that hymns were once the newfangled thing in churches that people weren't sure about, um, which I just find fascinating. Today, we're going to be excavating a hymn that is a bit more upbeat, a hymn that gives us the words to praise God, and it's called Praise to the Lord the Almighty. Now, as many of you know, one of my passions is to help people be prepared for the end of life. In the last year, I partnered with Wasp Funeral Home to hold the Living Wisely, Dying Well uh, event that we had at the library. It was a great event. It had loads of helpful information. And from the perspective of a pastor, one of the things that is really helpful to think about um, is the scripture and the music that you would like to have at your funeral or celebration of life service. I'm gonna give you two examples. My grandfather, John Henry, that's his real name, just like the tall tale, John Henry, uh, he was a funeral director. And when he passed away, he had everything for his funeral planned down to the letter. It was exactly the casket. It was exactly the order of worship. And we even knew what music that he wanted. And he had a request that his grandchildren sing special music. Uh, the song was On Eagle's Wings, if you know that song. It turned out to be only the granddaughters, uh, the grandsons chickened out, uh, but we did it. It was great because we knew exactly what he wanted. He knew what would be meaningful for him, and it, that made it meaningful for us. So when his wife passed away, my grandma, Ruth, uh, she didn't have any of that planned, which again, I find funny because she was married to a funeral director, but uh, they're each their own person. And that discussion was less about what she would have wanted and more about what each family member thought would be appropriate. 
And while it went well, it was a little bit more tension in planning that because they had four kids. That's four different ideas of what what should happen. Um, and so from my own experiences, I think that it's just better to pick all of this out ahead of time. You know, you can always adapt your plans, but give that gift to your family. Now I'm aware that I said that this was an upbeat song and then I immediately started talking about funerals. But the reason I did that is because this hymn is on my list. That if, when, if and when, if, <laughs> when I pass away, this is one of the hymns that I want sung at my own funeral. And if you decide that you want this one on your list as well, I would be honored to share this song with you. So back to the hymn. Before we get into the scripture and theology behind the hymn, let's learn a little bit about where it came from. This hymn was written by a German pastor by the name of Joachim Neander. I had to look up how to pronounce that. Joachim. He lived from 1650 to 1680. He was only 30 years old when he passed away from tuberculosis. But Neander wrote the music and the words for this hymn. Fun fact about Joachim Neander is that he was a lover of nature, and he had often spent time in a specific valley where he lived near Dusseldorf, Germany. People actually began referring to that valley as Neanderthal in reference to him. Uh, it was, if that word sounds familiar to you, it's no coincidence because in 1856, in the very valley that the composer of this hymn uh, frequented centuries before, the first remains of the Neanderthal was discovered there. And the remains were named for the valley in which it was discovered, and the valley was named for Joachim Neander. Isn't that fun? I thought that was a pretty cool fun fact. So Neander was a composer, but he also held two jobs, one as a teacher in a private school and another as an assistant pastor and eventually the pastor of a church near Bremen, but only for one year before his passing. The church was the German Reformed Church that would later have connections to the Moravian movement within Germany. And our own John Wesley, who started the Methodist movement, was very influenced by the Moravians. So it is no surprise that this hymn has found its way into our hymnal. In fact, you will probably notice that no matter what church you go to, the same hymns and the same contemporary music are often played across denominations because music is one way that we as Christians are reminded of our connection to the greater church beyond just our local community. Now, since Neander was German, the original text for the hymn was in German. Uh, and the hymn as we know it in our hymnal has had three different people translating it. The primary translator for this hymn was a woman by the name of Catherine Winkworth, who translated verses 1, 3, and 5 in our hymnal. She was an English woman who came, became the most popular translator of German hymns, and she wasn't the only one translating German hymns into English, but she was by far the most popular in the way that she was able to capture the ideas and yet also translate the poetry of the hymn as well. Um, some of her own beliefs do come through in her translation, in particular the line, for he is thy health and salvation in the first verse. This is reflective of her own theology around the importance of physical fitness 
popular in England during her lifetime. Although I will say it fits in with John Wesley, who also wrote a, bo a book about health and medicine during his lifetime. So again, it totally fits for us Methodists. The second verse was translated by S. Paul Schilling in 1986. Winkworth was in the 1800s. And so the, the second and fourth verses um, were translated 100 years later. And the fourth verse by Rupert E. Davis in 1983. These are updates from Winkworth's translations. Um, there's a fair amount of interpretation that goes into translating a hymn as you have to translate not only the words, but also the ideas in a way that is meaningful for the people you are writing the hymn for. Not only that, but since it's a song, it should also flow with the music and the meter, which means liberties are taken. While I don't know the reason for the updated verses, some of it probably has to do with fresh translations that get to the heart of Neander's imagery, but also appeals to the modern person of faith. So all of that groundwork aside, let's dive into the theology and scripture found in this particular hymn of praise. That's what this hymn is. It's designed for people singing praise to God by describing God's characteristics and calling on all of creation to acknowledge and praise God. The first verse focuses on God the creator, and this hymn takes a lot of inspiration and imagery out of the Psalms which have many psalms dedicated to praising God. Psalm 103 begins, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. We learned last week that the music and worship services prior to the popularity of hymns was just recitation of the psalms. So it's not surprising that these early hymns would also use the psalms as inspiration for their words and imagery. The first verse ends with a call that all who hear now to his temple draw near. This could be an allusion to the end of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus ascends into heaven and the people who had gathered to watch this happen returned to Jerusalem with great joy and stayed continuously at the temple praising God. I think this is also a beautiful imagery of the community of faith. This is what we are called to do. Our faith is not meant to be practiced in solitude, but we are meant to gather and to praise God together as a community. That's why this time of social distancing is so hard and why we have such a drive to be together because that's what God intended to share in God's grace and mercy together. That's why we invite you to share where you are seeing God and to comment when you're watching our worship videos because that way you have a sense of the community that has gathered together to experience this worship because it matters. It matters that we're together. The second verse begins with praising God who reigns over all. Psalm 97 begins, the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores rejoice. And then it uses the imagery of God bearing us like on eagle's wings. Not only does God reign, but God carries us. This particular image comes out of Exodus 19.4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. This is God speaking to Moses at Mount Sinai after delivering the Israelites out of Egypt and right before giving Moses the Ten Commandments. 
It is a reminder again that God is in control. Not Egypt, not any other power, but God reigns and can save his people. The verse continues saying that God's care unfolds all whose true good he upholds. This most likely now comes from the New Testament, from the writings of Paul in particular. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he writes, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When we sing this hymn, we are reminded that God cares for us and is working for our good as long as we love him. Have you not known God sustaining you? And the third verse is also about God supporting us. But I want to point out that Psalm 23 makes an appearance. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee comes from Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then it says we should ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. Again, we go back to Paul here that if we truly believe that God is working for our good, just imagine what that could mean. Imagine if we truly let God do with us what God wants. What would our lives be like if we opened ourselves up to God, living our lives in a way that shows God's love for us and for others, God can and will do mighty things with us. Just imagine. Now the fourth verse makes an allusion to the fact that God created you and is preparing a way for you. The verse begins, Praise to the Lord who doth nourish thy life and restore thee, fitting thee well for the tasks that are ever before thee. The same idea can be found again in the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. God has not only created you, but you are created with a purpose. And God is preparing the way for you to fulfill that purpose if you choose to embrace it. Another image found in the fourth verse is God responding to our needs as a mother tends to the needs of her children. And this one comes from Isaiah, chapter 66, 13. As a mother comforts her child, I will comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. It's tied to the image as well of a mother hen uh, spreading her wings over her little chicks to protect them. Yet another biblical image of God's protective nature. And this one comes from 91.4. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. <coughs> the final verse, which is my personal favorite, is again an anthem of praise. Let all that is in me adore him. For me, this is connected to the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Everything. Hold nothing back and let everything within you praise God and love God. So that's the personal side. That's the relationship between God and me. But Christianity isn't just a personal religion, it's communal. Not only do I desire to praise God with all that I am, I desire that everything that has breath 
praise the Lord. The hymn says, all that has life and breath, come now with praises before him. You might remember from the scripture, Psalm 150 ended with, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That isn't just humans, is it? Everything that has breath in my mind. I know that you guys, I haven't done a lot of uh, movie references lately, but I've got one for you. In my mind, when I hear that, I'm thinking of the beginning of The Lion King. If you've seen that movie, I've been rediscovering Disney with my children during this time. In the beginning scene of The Lion King, all these animals are coming together um, to see Simba, the new king of the jungle, right? And you have elephants and giraffes and wildebeests and monkeys and everybody coming together and, and praising this new king, Simba. And I feel like that's the image that I have with this song. I think that in the same way, all life from God can praise God by being who they were created to be. All of us who have breath owes our life to God, and we should acknowledge and honor that by being who God created us to be and allowing other life the same opportunities. The final phrase of the song, which is probably the reason I love this song so much, says, let the amen sound from his people again, gladly forever adore him. The word amen means, may it be so. And often we use it at the end of our prayers to say, whatever we've just prayed for God, may it be so. So to desire that amen sound from God's people again means that we are on board with God's will and will work toward making it happen that we will be a people on fire for God and working together to advance the kingdom of God. Let the amen sound from his people again is a revival in the making, that we would gather together in the name of the love of the Lord and make his kingdom reign in the world, that we would choose love over hatred, love over fear, love over discord, love over strife, love over division, love over animosity, love over all. Amen? I want you to type amen in the comments if you are with me on this. Randy, are you with me? Amen. Thank you very much. Let the amen sound from his people again. You know, when I was a student in seminary, I spent a summer as an intern at First United Methodist Church in Peoria, Illinois, and they invited me to preach at their Saturday morning worship service. And that service was before their loaves and fish meal that they served every Saturday out of their church. And the people who attended the worship service got to go be in line first for the meal. And so there was some incentive to show up to that worship service. And when I preached there, <coughs> they were vocal in their responses. They, if they were with me, if they agreed with what I was saying, they would let me know. They would say, amen, sister, amen. And I tell you, that was the first time I had ever experienced that because I am a born and bred Lutheran from Arlington, South Dakota, where in our church, we did not clap. Even if we liked something, we would smile really, really big. And so to go from that to amen, sister, you preach it. You preach the gospel. Man. 
that was an experience. But this song reminds me of that. It reminds me that we should be on fire for God, that our faith should enliven us, and that we shouldn't be afraid to say, Amen, sister. That's how these hymns came into being in the first place. They were to help enliven the faith of the people hundreds of years ago. Our favorite hymns come out of traditions that cared more about what is going on in our hearts toward God than what we said we believed about him. Neander, he was a convert to the faith, and it was out of his great passion for God that he wrote this song. So we're going to sing it in a minute. And when we do, and I am, I am asking that you sing this out loud with me and that you sing it with some passion. Let all that is within us adore the Lord. Let us not be afraid to say or even to shout amen when the time comes. Amen, and thank you for joining us in worship today. 